Every person has a story, but not everyone has a place to tell it. I'm Frank Swoboda. I've interviewed amazing people all over the planet. I want you to meet them. This week, the most interesting person you've never heard of is... Uh, I'm Jeff Crawford, and I'm the most interesting person you never heard of because... Um, I've probably worked with more educators and students than um, all over the states than most people know. And uh, I don't have any books out there. Um, I just love serving teachers and educators and working with kids, and that's my joy. And every time I get a chance to meet with somebody, um, it's for me, it's a wonderful new experience. And it's just like working with a kid uh, in the classroom or a teacher in their classrooms. I've had the chance for 35 years to, to interview literally hundreds if not thousands of people and um, for my day job right as a video producer director and telling all kinds of, of stories and I and I'm always blown away by how interesting they are and they're no one's really ever heard of these people they're either a, a story for a uh, that, uh, that a brand has a client or customer for or um, there's a there's a specific niche reason for those, but but the but the rest of the world wouldn't really know who they are, and I, I've always thought that is actually way more interesting than it, let's say it's a celebrity who's done thousands of these. You know, I think it's way more interesting to talk to people who don't even realize how interesting their day job is and how interesting what they do is. When I heard that you teach teachers, I'm like, people teach teachers? Aren't they? Don't they already know everything they're supposed to know? Because <laughs> teachers should know everything because they're trusted with our kids, of course. And for me, that's the most interesting thing is I used to think, uh, because it's what I grew up with, that when teaching in mathematics, I know the answer, I know a method to do it, and there might be two or three methods to do it. And, like You get into complicated different strategies at times, and then like, so then you start realizing it's not only this, the mathematics um, has like this idea behind it, but there's multiple representations for that. And there's multiple ways that you see it as an individual. And it's not just the mathematics, it's life. We all see life differently because of your experiences, for good or for bad, whatever your experiences are, that's how your brain is grown up. And uh, your brain grows because it's your brain. And your brain's not my brain, and it's not anybody else's brain. You are uniquely your own. And the way you see the world, and the way that you talk about the world, and the way that you interact with the world, and the way that you represent your thinking is totally your own. Uh, for me, it's kind of like uh, in our computer world, we're all like, oh, are you Microsoft or are you Apple? And and now we like we can talk between machines a lot better and we have that decode and coding process down. In my brain, how I see the world and understand it, my brain's made sense of it and I have these mental representations of it. How I express that to you, we use vocabulary and words and grammar and conventions and all of these things. But to do so... I try to encapsulate what I have in my mind and I try to convey it to you. But even with the words that I use, they're not the way that you understand the words as I mean them. And if you've had any rich conversations with people, spouses or good friends, you know how words, you're like, what the hell did you mean by that? And you're like, I said that? You're like, yeah, what were you meaning? I'm like, I meant this. Like, no, you didn't. Like, no, that's what I really meant. And I think that's what Misinterpretation the, all the time. And it's, it's not necessarily a misinterpretation. It's that... The software that I have in my brain to make sense of the world and to encode it and to send it to you is different than your software because your neurological system is different than mine. Based on the same, a lot of similarities, same like ears and eyes and all this stuff that we can get the data, but how you encode that data, your deep messages, are, I don't have your software system. Uh, and the beauty of it, the most interesting thing I'm finding is the more that we are unique and different in our experiences, the richer the conversation can become and the deeper my understanding can become out of even something simple like a proportional relationship. Like how do you see a doubling or a tripling of a batch of cookies or a recipe? How would you do it for 10 people? And how you see that and how I see that, we're totally different. And you might gravitate to seeing it this way or this tool or that tool, but I see it differently. Everybody's got a different approach to how it's done. One, <clears throat> that's a big part I know of, of how, just in some of the work that we've done you know, with some of the uh, clients that I've worked with, is this whole idea of how you approach solving a problem with different, with different disciplines that attack it, right? So I, know, I think that's a new thing in the last few years in education where it's like, you know, we're going to have um, somebody who's really good with math and somebody that's really good with, you know, a different way of solving that problem, work on it together so that yes. it's not the same, it's not all the same kind of thinkers attacking a problem. You you actually have a more interesting, probably a more 
more advantageous outcome, right? I would exactly. Think. And then you have a, a greater diversity and a range of perspectives and experiences that come to the table. You have a better chance of solving real problems. Well, when you're, you know, it's interesting when you were talking about how you've got to facilitate and or guide a conversation and then try not to think for them and yeah. do all the work, right? Yeah. It's so exactly what I do in my in my business because a big part of what we do is creative strategy to solve basically the, uh, you know a story problem around a brand. Like how do you tell the story of that brand is basically what I help my clients figure out how to do. There's a lot of ways to do it. There's a lot of ways to create how that story's told, a lot of places to make sure that's seen, mm. a lot of platforms, all kinds of things. But Ultimately, the way we've decided, I've solved this over the last 15 years, is to get the people who know the brand best, who are our clients, who don't necessarily know how to tell a story, but they know it inside and out. And they've thought about it way more than we have to get them in a room and actually have a conversation and and, and ask them questions and just guide it. Because I really don't know. That's the <laughs> and, beauty. And I need to come up with a creative way to tell their story. And I can't tell it unless I understand it. So let them talk through it. And what ends up coming out of it is they end up talking about you know, really getting clear about their goals, about who they're exactly targeting, who the audiences are trying to sell to or talk to, and what and and the best stories. And yeah, I've guided and sort of suggest things. And hey, you know, we work with these other brands who do it yep. this way yep. or whatever. But I really don't know, and they do, and they don't know how. Otherwise, they would have done it by now, right? They would have told they would have told a really good brand story. They can't, but that part of it is what we do. But we have to we have to learn from them. It sounds like the same kind of thing. Same thing you're doing, I think. Um, that you know what storytelling looks like. You know what a good story looks like, but you don't know what their story is because they're the ones because who have they the data. Know. They, they know it. They know it firsthand, and you're coming alongside, which is really similar for me. But the the weird part is, is my guess is your clients believe that they know their own story. My clients, so to speak, the students that I work with or the teachers that I work with. They believe that they know that their own story, but they don't believe that their story has as much value. That's typically the the mathematics. Like they think they're wrong, or, they, oh, or how, yeah. how they're approaching it is yeah, not right. Like, um, every time I'm on an airplane or a cab, or you know, yeah, like you're getting a coffee somewhere or tea. I don't drink coffee. Uh, you're getting something, and they're like, "Hey, what are you up to today? Or what do you do?" And I start talking about being a math educated, or uh, like 99 out of 100 times, it seems to be that they're like, oh my God, I hated math or I'm not good at math. Or <laughs> I was going to ask you about that. It's, um, it's very regular that our identity of who we believe we see ourselves as mathematicians in the United States and the UK as well is really, really negative. We've been told we're wrong. We've been told we're not good at it. We've been told we're smart or not smart, gifted or not gifted in it. We've been sent all of these messages that how we view it it's really challenging to get them to believe that they are the ones who actually know what's best. Because we make up a story about it. I know that I got A's in algebra and, and a D in geometry. Yeah. So I must not be good at math. Ding, 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 ding. And you didn't go on to math. And, and, and the more I look back, I'm like, my teacher didn't even know how to, uh, how to take the class. Like, you know what I mean? That was the other, that was the other challenge. We're like, you don't even know what you're teaching, right? <laughs> that's, that's pretty crazy. Yeah. So for me, it's been most interesting to see and that for me, most challenging too, is how do I believe in somebody who doesn't believe in themselves? And how do I get them to start believing in themselves by being the expert kind of storyteller, by inviting them into a mathematical conversation around like 10 dots or making a recipe or creating a game plan for your production, whatever it might be that's mathematical for them. How do I get them to believe that what they are thinking is valuable to the conversation at hand? And matter of fact, what they're thinking is mathematical and their thinking is just what their thinking is. It's fine. Embrace it for what it is. You are like you are. You don't yell at a little kid for running down the street or on the play field and they trip and fall. You might, might laugh and they laugh and they get up and they keep going. But we embrace in so many other ways the growth curve that we go through naturally. But in mathematics, we're all like, ah, if I don't get it right, then I'm not mathy, I'm out. Then I'm out. Yeah. And you don't true. want me in your classroom and I'm out. And, so, and I'm bad at math. And I'm bad at math. Then I don't have to do it. And then I don't have to do it. Yeah. And, or you'll do it for me. So that's been really interesting for me to see students and teachers alike start to embrace their own mathematical identity and embrace where they are in their own growth and know that they are growing and to see that. And watching them be able to say with each other like, oh, yeah, Frank, I totally see it. Like you do it. What? No, I don't get what you're saying. Tell me. And then they're like their conversations become richer, they start seeing it, and hopefully I'm valuing what they're contributing by writing their words and taking what they're saying and putting up there, rephrasing it, 
getting each other to rephrase it. And then they're valued for who they are. And to watch them grow, it's the most amazing thing. That's the, that's what lights you up. Oh, for sure. That's why you do it. Yeah. What's What are kids better at and what are adults better at? Because you get to work with both. Kids are better at being real and embracing challenges. Adults, we have too much baggage in our heads and too much identity at stake. We're scared. We're scared. Of math, especially. We're scared of math. And we're scared of making mistakes in front of our peers. Kids are too, but they embrace more of the challenge. They know you're in school, you're supposed to try. This is just yeah. what it is. It's kind of like at the ski hill. Little kids are going for it and they're falling. You don't see big kids going for it and falling. I mean, big kids like us. I mean, yeah, it hurts more or whatever. But seriously, like if it's snow and it's soft and, and like, why don't you go for it? They're well, also a lot closer to the ground. They are a lot closer. So how about for this, for climbing? I love to rock climb. Uh, go put you on a rope. You're safe, totally safe. We can triple check it. We can have the whole crew and the staff make sure everything's safe to go. But adults will be more reluctant, in my experience, more reluctant to try and go for something that feels uncomfortable out of reach mm -hmm. because I, uh, I want to stay in my comfort zone. We've learned to be in our comfort zone. We've created our comfort zone. Um, <laughs> so I would say that kids are more uh, readily um, um, engaging in to get out of their comfort zone. They are ready to... to I want to get into the growth zone or where I'm stretching myself because that's just life for them. Well, Everything's I would, new. I, I'm curious to know. I, I think there's something to just as many people as I've gotten to know and talk with over the years that those people who are adults that try stuff like that yeah. live longer. Yeah. Do you know why? Why? Because your brain's happier. Your brain... That you tried it. So uh, your brain is much like we're finding out. Your brain is much like our muscles. Uh, when you are in homeostasis for your muscles, uh, it's just like comfort zone the whole time. Your muscles don't grow. They atrophy. You're only growing or you're atrophying with your muscles. So if you're working out regularly, your muscles are going to grow. Same for your brain. If you're pushing your system, we're like built to grow. And the more that you challenge yourself in your thinking and the way that you do things, you, new situations, everything, it's good for your brain. All of the chemicals are lined up for you. Give it a risk, that reward that you get from it or not. It's, it's, it's what your brain needs. It I, just, I, like, to I totally agree with that. Body. All the places I get to go. I mean, half of my job, I really don't know literally what I'll be doing in a month, like ever. And I, I think that's what I love about it. My, you know, I can't, I mean, I, it is so spontaneous all the time. I don't have you really ever heard know. of a planner. You know, you can put things down in your book. <laughs> no, but I really don't have our clients aren't ready to tell that story yet. Or I'll have to go, you know, Hey, get on a plane and go to Bolivia tomorrow and film this thing. I mean, I might have to. And you know, that typically when we do stuff, our clients want to have it done right away and we have to go places. And you know, I mean, I've, I've had to go and I've gotten the chance just through work to go to like 30 countries, you know, it's and, crazy. and it's, it, Every time I get to travel, whether it's to OMAC, Washington, or, or China, you do use, you know, it's a new adventure. And it's, uh, you are kind of throwing yourself out there. And I told, and people are like, how old are you? I always feel like I'm way younger than I think I, than I actually am. And I think I really am younger. Because you act young. Uh, uh, well, part part of it is that <laughs> I just don't take things too seriously. But also because I I am actively using things, experiencing things that I've never experienced before all the time. It's kind of part of my job. It's good for you, and brain. I love it. I love kind of you know going, uh, uh, jumping off the the bridge all the time. Whether it's a new story to tell or a place to go or a new client to meet or learning yeah. about what they're yeah. at. It's just. It's super interesting, and I think you're 100 right. Like the more we use that part of us, the and, and you know, I just I don't know. I've had tons of people that there's a bunch of it was like a cropload of guys and gals, mostly guys, when I was about 35, 40, and I'd been in doing this business of you know making movies, making videos, storytelling, all that stuff over you know 15 or 20 years who were attorneys and bankers. <clears throat> they were friends of mine that I'd kind of grown up with and gone to high school or college with. And they all sort of, there was a period of time where they all sort of circled around like, hey, can we go to lunch or go have a beer or something? And we would talk about, and they would, there was a, a, a rash of them for a certain amount of time. They're like, you know, I got a screenplay I'm working on. Or how do I do what you do? Or can I, can I, can I go do that? Like, I don't want to, I've been successful at this as an attorney or a banker, cause I kind of did what I was supposed yeah. to do and I followed a certain yeah. path, but I didn't really do it for me. I just, you know, I didn't do, do it necessarily cause I loved it. I did it cause it was a smart career move, whatever. I don't know the reasons, but I just, I noticed that it was like, 
wow, no, you can't now because it's too late in the game for you. Or sure you can, but it, it's, you're not going to be able to have the experience that I've had because you're, you know, it's, it's sort of too late in the game. And there was a sadness to them. I could kind of feel like, oh. like, Oh man, I, I don't, that's really what I want to do. I think rather than this, because it's creative and it's interesting and sure they make 10 times the money I make or whatever, but they don't get to, they haven't had the, the, the life experience. You yeah. Know? They don't get that. And I wouldn't say they sold out or anything, but I, no, it's a different kind of flourishment for your soul or your life or whatever you yeah, want. Um, yeah. Yeah. But an interesting thing that we're learning, and it's fun because mathematics, we're like, oh, I can't do it anymore. We know about the neuroplasticity of the brain now that at any age, especially as you're older, it's super important to continue to push your thinking um, so that your brain can get that exercise that it needs, so to speak. Um, but that at any age, your brain is adaptable. Now, your arms and your body, you might be like, oh, I'm over 40 or over 50. I'm not going <laughs> to be able to become it. this and to become a... Uh, world-class athlete, I'm probably not going to be able to do it because I don't have the time or the body for it, but your brain does. So you want to become a world-class coder or you want to become a world-class musician composer, you want to become a, a world-class mathematician, your brain is ready. You just got to push. It's all about giving it that time and working it and working it and working it. There's got to be something in there too with dementia, Alzheimer's, memory loss, that oh, whole yeah, world sure. where that is less likely to happen with people uh, that are having yeah. a more, I don't, I'm sure the science yeah, is, it's right there. Gotta be there. But it your just, brain. I just kind of know it instinctively yeah. that like, if you know, the more active you are, the, the less likely you're going to run into that stuff. I would think maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. I guess we'll find out. Uh, you're also a pretty good golfer. <laughs> Do you ever, so first of all, how, what people need to know about Jeff is that he's, he does not look like a golfer. He doesn't, I mean, really, you don't look like you can hit the ball way farther than me and I'm I'm an okay golfer right I'm decent You're decent golfer I'm a decent golfer you are way better and you kick my ass on the golf course barefoot every time I played with you you <laughs> actually don't ever wear spikes golf shoes anything I do what believe, is the deal I, there I, 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 well and why why how does that work for you? Why are you why why and is there a correlation with math in there anywhere? No no do you, do you ever use math with golf or are you just like just just, you so know, the backstory. Be the ball. Um, breathe through your eyelids. Breathe through my eyelids. Be the ball. Uh, so the backstory is: I grew up in a family where we played uh, golf and baseball and chess and bridge and card games and anything where you could, competition, baby. Competition, strategy, numbers, strategy, numbers, pra strategy, problem solving. Um, I didn't know growing up. Was it fun or was it a chore? It was life. It was just what it was. It's just how you how you it guys rolled. What I grew up with. That's how I knew the world. Um, so, for example, I didn't know that other kids didn't play bridge with your two parents. The four-handed bridge, but only three of you when you're like nine or ten years old. And you're, you're learning the, and, and to count. And also... I played war. Yeah, yeah, we played war. Um, but A little how, different. How do you play those things and how do you play to win? And the expectation was always that you were paying attention and you were learning strategy and you're doing things. You have and to be was, present and focused. Present and focused. So that was the same for baseball. Um, her neighbors uh, joke like, do you what, guys what position do you play? Uh, all of them. Cause you had to play all of them. <laughs> um, <laughs> we were a family that we, we were always gone and the neighbors joked one time, do you guys even eat <laughs> or do you just eat baseballs and softballs? Cause we we're always at baseball and softball. But, um, so I grew up playing golf cause my dad liked golf and he did great to get in my Jack Nicholson square to square. Jack Nicholas. Jack mean? Nichols. Yeah. I was just watching Jack Nicholson last night. That's what I was thinking about it. But Jack Nicholson. A little bit different. And square to square golf and all of that stuff. And uh, so my dad like had. Like how to stuff. How to stuff. And <clears throat> so from even a little, little kid being trained on how to swing the club and do the putt and this kind of stroke and this kind of thing. My dad had the golf magazine. Tiger Crawford. I think my dad wanted is, you to be Tiger. Well, he still does. Earl. He's he just, Earl. He just let me know. Yeah. He just let me know the other day again. He was like, yeah, now you're pretty much ready to go for the senior tour. <laughs> the and Champions you tour. Go make some monies. And uh, so I never loved it as much as I think my dad loved it. And there were different things in life. And for me right now, golf has. It was a connection it. to your dad. Yeah. I, no, I love my dad. And I love time with my dad and my mom. But, it, but golf was a connection there. probably. Golf was the connection with him. But there, it wasn't the... It didn't give me that flourishment that I was hoping for. Um, it really didn't click for me. They did going golfing all day long for eight hours a day for my job. It's just like, no. It's yeah. a ball. I, I worked, it's a hole. I, I it's their the same, clubs. I had the same. Not, I wasn't sort of driven by that, you know, by somebody else to do it. But I loved it. And, I, you know, I, I worked in a pro shop for a while. I played college golf. 
but I just was like, there was a day when it kind of hit me. And I was like, I can't do this all day long. There's like, more to life I, than there's golf. more to life than yeah. just sitting in a pro shop all day and, yeah. and talking about golf. Yeah, I wasn't that I passionate. ran into a guy who's fantastic and he worked with me at Downriver, you know, Matt way Bunn? back in you know thirty years ago. Uh, Daryl Hall, awesome guy, and he's still a pro at the Lynx course in the Valley here, or you know, out in. Um, kind of the state line. It's a great course. We haven't played it. And he's a pro out there. And I ran into him. I'm like, oh my God, I haven't seen you since, you know, I had worked at Downriver with him. And 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 he found, he has found a path that he loves. He's still, he's, you, you walk in there and he, you know, he still loves it. Like he just, he's happy to see everybody. He's good at it. He's, he hasn't changed a bit since he was mm. doing it at Downriver and loving it then. And mm. I would have been so jaded and busy and eating my life and I've been yeah. where he is now and I've gotten to go on a cool journey you know that I just I've been the best job in the world but but it wasn't my passion it wasn't it yeah. wasn't mine either no. and so. you found that so is 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 this your passion and why? I think so um but the golf barefoot yeah what we golf you and I when it's wonderful and cool out and hot in the summer and going and putting your feet because you're not supposed to do that in tournaments and real golf um just Go fun, play golf. You can do that. And I love the feel of the cool grass on my feet. And I actually I, putt better. I think I was going to say, I think you, do you think you play better? Um, I'm more in tune with the earth. So I swing Whoa. better and know how Whoa. it's going to roll. Um, I don't know. Maybe it's because of you and I just feel more relaxed. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not the only one you play barefoot with though. Come no. on. No, but you, I think you, do you think you play, you think you putt better? You can feel? I can feel the ground balance? better. Balance? Better balance. Yeah. Golf's all about balance yeah. anyway. Huh, but you asked, um, like, what am I doing right now? I think what I do right now, I know what your passion is about. my passion. And my passion is really helping people grow um, and grow in their own way. Um, mathematics happened to have been my uh, leapfrog. I had an advantage. When you grow up in a family where everything is mathematical, you're doing calculations for your baseball stats. You're keeping score in the scorebook as soon as you can learn to read and write. You're doing all of these things with cards, and you're doing counting strategies and all of this. You go to school, and then you're like, Hey everybody, what's six plus three? And you're like, doesn't everybody know this already? Because that was just life and you're expected to know that. And we have been doing so much mathematics in our world, at our family, that I had a huge advantage um, for that. And, and people say, weren't you gifted? And I'm like, no, I was just trained really early with a lot of time on it. Really? The research is really clear that your dispositions um, for genetic coding for like mathematics, you might have a year or two ahead of somebody else. That's about it. Huh. So just work it. Everybody I, can grow. I know whenever we watch football, right? We watch the Seahawks be horrible this year together. We're always sitting there and there's always a decision at some point in that game, right? Where it's like, are they going to go for it on fourth down? Are they going to punt? Are they going to kick a field goal? The conditions, all that. And I always look at you and you're, it's always like, okay, what what's the math probability here that they should, what should they do? Because I think more and more as I, I'm a huge sports fan. So the more I follow that, even when it comes to baseball and 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 how a team is put together, whether you're the general manager and you've got to make this move or not, it's all about salary cap. It's all about there's a lot of conditions that come to that. It is a math world yeah. that we're in, and when it's fourth and one, and they're on their you know own 45 or the other team's 45, do you go for it or not? What what do you usually where do you land on that most important <laughs> decision? Because I asked, they clearly need your help. <laughs> well, the beauty is now with today with technology, you can pull up so much data. They know and, and they already know the probability of it. And you can run expected values and what it's going to be. What my joy and passion is, is to hear you talk about it and know from your experience, I know that you don't know and have all that data at your fingertips and watching you wrestle through that and go, oh, they should do this because of this. I love that part so of the when conversation. I, so when I say that, okay, so I'm, I'm, I'm going, they should punt here. <laughs> what are you, are you just going, no, they shouldn't probability-wise? Do you oh, know I'm wrong? Or do you not not know? I have not done like the data research or do have right. my program or my app yeah, for doing that stuff. You think about it, as you but, said, imp imprint wise and how you approach something different. You're gonna look at that yeah, so differently what, than I do. So what I I'm look, gonna I'm a Pisces man. I'm gonna feel that, right? You're I'm gonna, gonna feel go, it. I'm gonna go, they should not go here. Yeah, you're don't, like don't you take the points or whatever. You're I don't think you're looking at it that way. You're like Pete Carroll's scum is done look too fresh. He should probably not punt or punt. You're going <laughs> too that many way. Chumps. Um I try to think and I love the, the 
like we call them standards for mathematical practice. What does it look like a mathematician is doing mathematics? Um, and that's for every kid and everybody. And one of them is um, use mathematics um, in, in a way that's both quantitatively and abstractly. Reason quantitatively and abstractively. So I could reason quantitatively about the situation by getting the data and running it through the machine. And that's what the coaches are paid for to sure. do all that. They have all that data. So reasoning abstractly is without knowing the numbers, what kind of feel is it? Like even what's the ratio do you think of, of number of times on fourth down you would be successful? Or the number of times the Seahawks at this kind of position against this kind of defense would be successful? Um, so you just kind of like can do like even a Are they rough, winning the line of scrimmage? <laughs> yeah, yeah. What's going on with here? Um, who do they have in the backfield, et cetera? All of these kind of things you can think kind of like abstractly about But you it. think about those yeah, things? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I just feel it. You feel it. Yeah. Kind of. I mean, I just can sort of tell. I played enough football, too, and I bet watched the game a long, long but time. But I've, I've watched enough games with you that you feel it a lot, and then you just, like, cry a lot afterwards <laughs> feeling it when it's wrong. You're like, oh, yeah, we should have gone the other way. And you go back to your feelings and you use them. Uh, but you seem to be more right than me. But No, not necessarily. That's, like, <laughs> probabilities, so you have to go with the law of large numbers um the casinos make money because they know that after millions of games it's going to go with the mathematical theoretical probability it's going to approach that and so they're going to make the numbers work for them so similarly like you don't know if you're really going to get it on fourth and one or not but it depends where you're on the season and also depends if you're in the super bowl like it depends what the wind is doing and can you guys kick it that yeah. but it's like yeah. it's like why not go for it on fourth down i'm gonna punt they're gonna get it on the 25 anyway so what i gain 10 yards you know 20 yards yeah, yeah. there's that kind of stuff that you think about too speaking of the other segue to this which you just laid out beautifully is is vegas so can we go <laughs> i have duke tickets first of all i will only take you to the game if duke and zaga in vegas Thanksgiving, if you take me to a casino, because I'm guessing sure. you're a card counter. Yes. Just looking I can. at you. I can't. I can just, you? It's boring as all good. Can out. you really? Yeah. You're kidding. No, I can. What? But I'm not really good at it because I don't want to practice okay, it better because it's boring. How, how, it's boring. <laughs> <laughs> so it's driving slowly on the driveway, Rain Man. It's, it's boring. <laughs> boring to win money? What? Uh, so how do you do that? Um, are you not willing to re reveal your source or will the eye in the sky come down and well the eye in the sky probably now since everything's digital so you, since you post this it's going to be on there they're going to flag us as soon as we come into the casino um, but like I, I used to teach AP calculus and I would also teach um, the lowest level mathematics we have I always appreciated teaching both ends of the coursework hmm. that we had in the tough uh, stuff and the, and the basics they're, they're both t tough um, and matter of fact there are many days that the pre-pre-algebra or the algebra support or whatever we called it early algebra early algebra or this life is tough and nobody wants to have you and your math class go to Crawford um, they would come to my class and I loved them and embraced everybody who come to my classroom and those were wonderful kids and at the same time they were easier to work with uh, for many reasons than AP calculus kids but the AP smart kids yeah. and the AP calculus kids uh, they were getting ready to graduate and they're 18 and go to the casino Crawford you gotta come to the casino with us or hey can you teach us to count cards or whatever and um, there's lots of different ways to count cards, so you could probably look it up on the Google and uh, find out. The uh, Google. The Google. Um, but, uh, yeah, there's cool stuff. Have you won doing that? Or can you answer that without getting your legs broken? <laughs> I have not spent enough time gambling. I have an aversion to gambling. I kind of do, too. Yeah. I yeah. just, the ding, 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 and the place drives me bananas. The whole thing, the whole thing. But you can, and you have, and you've won. Yes, I wouldn't say a lot. I would say I have. I this have. Is so uh, handy to have as a next door neighbor. <laughs> I do have uh, one friend who has spent way too much time. He's given it up, but he would get all jacked up and go out there. It's a math guy, and he would go count and he'd bring home some monies and stuff. I'm like, the amount of money that you're getting out of this, it's not it, worth the it's effort. Not worth the, it's not worth the risk. It's of not. It's not giving me. My the, brain's not yeah. getting the happy that I yeah, want yeah, from yeah. it. So if you could wave your ma magic wand and change one thing particularly when it comes to education or math education, what would it be? I didn't say this was going to be easy, Crawford. The magic wand for education. Um, I think I would wish we could give everybody, like especially today, um, three months off. Um, give them books to read, some projects to work on, give them some stuff to do with their families in their homes, things like... What are those cool projects that you want to do around your Didn't house? Didn't we just have that? 
<laughs> no, we didn't. We still went with everybody's got to be on there, and on this, yeah, which which must that's a that's a whole other podcast, probably right for sure. Just for the sure. whole how did COVID go? But like, let's um, let's take the time to really reimagine and reinvent from what we know works, not just because the system's there and we've done it before. For example, teachers and COVID were told many times. For example, period one is still during period one time from eight to eight fifty. You're going to be on Zoom at home, and then you're going to go to period two, and you're going to be in period two, even though it's like, wait a second, TV time out. Let's let's reimagine. Particularly when in, in high school, most teenagers don't even wake up or want to wake up yeah. biologically. Their their body doesn't work as good unless they're waking up at 11, ten or eleven anyway. Yeah. So I would like to get one just some time to think, um, and then bring together some really quality educators in the research and start thinking about where's our system really been failing. Um, we have so much um, that's really not been good for kids, and we have the data for that, but we just haven't been able to get out of it. We're just kind of stuck in this system because it's what we have in place. So we've always done. And we've always done it this way. And we know it's not working. Um, what's the, the saying that the system that you have is designed perfectly to get the results that you're getting? Hmm. And the results that we're getting aren't good results. Um, because I mean, it's designed that way. And it, it's and we designed it. We designed it that way. And we, we keep trying to speak louder and slower at times to make it better, but it's not working. We're growing and we're changing, but we really need some whole scale changes to really center learning around students and students and their experiences and that what they bring to the table is uniquely theirs. And that's utmost importance that we really draw from their funds of knowledge and their experiences and also their interests. You shouldn't be doing a math problem all the time that's just your math problem, math teacher, that you think about because it makes sense to you and you sharing your own cool experience as a golfer or a plumber or whatever it is that you do to bring to the Card table. counter. Card counter. That might be interesting to the students, but if they're not bringing their experiences and their interests to the table too, then you're just still sending It's all about a, you. It's one directional. Uh, you to them. And that's not how we grow. We need a change to really start supporting and facilitating growth of the learner. Do you think that's possible? Do you yes. think that, and, and, and it, so it would be pretty radical, but it would be, so I, I think what I'm hearing you say is take three months off, reimagine how this is, stop the trains, stop everything, and stop reimagine how we do it, yeah. and then try something new. Yeah, at least try wow. some new things. That would be intense. And, and there are a lot of us cool. who've been working in it for a long time that, um, that we have really good ideas around it, really research-based good ideas, and we've seen them work. Um, so it'd be like, how do we get that really into process and into, into fruition, bring it to fruition? Um, one of the things I wanted to make sure that we talked about before we um, leave is your passport photo that you showed me earlier. <laughs> is there a way you could show that to Zach and, and do you have it with you? Uh, it's on my phone. Oh, well, you need to go get it. Okay, I'll Because it. this is... And while, while I do that, here's your... But we can text it later. Oh, okay. oh, we can show it. We can cut away and, to and it. And while we're doing that, here's your gift for allowing me to be on here. It's... Because um, I, do, I do think... A kitten tea party, uh, oh. 500-piece jigsaw puzzle. I thought that was perfect for you and for your office. So. Is there math involved? Uh, yeah, it says 500, so it must be mathy. Wow, that is... I hope this sets a trend that every podcast guest brings me a new gift. <laughs> maybe, maybe. <laughs> it's funny you say it's Mathy and the first thing I go to. It probably to is Mathy. It's Kittens? 500. Um, oh, right. You did. You didn't even talk. I see. I went to three cats. Three cats. And you, you went could, to 500. Which is funny because in, in SAD, uh, so on the math soapbox real quick, math isn't about just counting. That's one part of mathematics. Mathematics is about seeing the world and making sense of the world and then sometimes playing with the numbers because they're fun to play with in the mathematical concepts. But when you see things, and the mathematics behind this is there's so much in a, a jigsaw puzzle that's mathematical. And one of them is you want to be a mathematician. First thing as a mathematician is work on making sense and persevere in solving problems. So if it's a jigsaw, then you start doing that. And you do things like you sort the pieces out like, Oh, by color or by the edge or by different things. You're mathematizing. You're using mathematical thinking. That's part of being a mathematician. So how do you tackle a puzzle, honestly? Um, you, is there a way to do it that you do it all the time? Or do you? is it just like, <laughs> oh, I'm just going to try that and let other people do it? And <laughs> <laughs> um, you're like, you're like uh, I'm going to put, are you one of those guys who's like, I'm going to put all the three prong ones no, in a row, no, I'm not like OCD like, like that. Uh, <laughs> but I will do the edges first, and it is because you put a puzzle out and open it on the table. It hurts my brain if I'm not working on it or somebody is not working on it that it's left undone. So, 
Yeah. Um, how do you feel when you finish the puzzle and someone has hidden the last piece? Oh, man. I don't even know if I want to go there. Yeah, that might open up a can of <laughs> trauma worms uh, right there. <laughs> uh, I knew it. Uh, stealing that would really that, be... Well, we talked about stealing earlier. Yeah, but that would be stealing the joy from somebody. Um, because, that, that's because not cool. You were talking about, you know, uh, everything's been sort of done and stolen, you know, and, and that just means that you're stealing from somebody good about an idea yeah, or a way to be. do yeah. that. Yeah. You know, I, I think I've stolen a lot of things, but, but, but never to a point where I didn't want to make it at least my own imprint, you know, yeah, which yeah. I think is more called inspiration than it is actually theft. Of an idea or a way to do things. Yeah, if you take somebody else's thing and just put your name on it. You ever steal it. from other teachers and go, I'm taking that? Yeah, yeah. I, I wouldn't call it stealing. I, I think <laughs> I would call it inspired or I'll try to name it out, especially if it's somebody and they do something that I, I notice. Um, I often try to channel, speaking of like being different, and you like lift from what is happening in the classroom and, and uh, really treasuring or valuing different contributions and different perspectives and bringing those into the conversation. We do that with students or, or adult learners, professional learning. But also when our profession, you start really getting into these um, co-thinking conversations or you really start having rich discussions around or you see with people who think differently when they think differently and, and tackle a problem. Together. And you see a really quality educator in the way that they facilitate learning. You're like, you're not me, but what you do right there, like um, uh, one thing, phrase that I love to use now is invite. I invite you to. Hmm. And so uh, I've used that from another educator, Vanessa, a, a friend of mine down in California. She's like, she always so gracious. And she's like, I invite you to. Instead of a, I would like you all to, or I would love for you to do this, or I need you to do this. I want you now to. I want you now to. Like all the ways that we would teach her, tell kids to do something, but she's just like really honest. She's like, Frank, I, uh, but everybody, I'd like to invite you right now to think about this. Hmm. Just a subtle thing. And it's totally on their uh, choice for if they want to engage, but it's wonderful. It's not about her being lifted up or her being filled with it. She's like, we're going to go along with this and how she facilitates learning with that simple phrase, I invite you to. Huh. Uh, it's just a great way to do it. Like I like, I invite you right now to just think about this for two minutes. I'll give you two minutes of private think time. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of a so it's, it's stealing in, in the way that you were saying it, but it's really, I think it's enriching my thinking because I'm hearing and seeing how you interact with other people. And I want to grow from that too. And so I'm, I'm being challenged in my thinking and my way of understanding about learning and my understanding about the, the world and about human beings and all of that. And that you, like, what's the old <clears throat> adage is iron sharpens iron, yep. so one can sharpen another. And I, th I find it that way. Do you find us um, grossly behind as a country, as a, in, in, in the math world? Yes, very much so. Because I don't think people think about that very much. So, for example, um, here's when I was talking with a teacher the other day. She's come from Canada. She's working here in the States now. And she says, why, are, why do you do algebra, geometry, algebra two. Nobody else in the world does that. And we laugh like, well, they were United States of America. We can do whatever the hell goddamn want to. That's yeah, why. for sure. Because we're right. And, uh, and Thank so, you. So it was like, well, it goes back to this in 1892. I think it was 1892. Late 1800s, there was a council of 10. And they wrote down that this would be a good way to do it. And ten dudes, ten white dudes. I don't know. To I'm that sure, end. <laughs> probably. I'm guessing 1892. <laughs> but uh, yep, this is what we're Who doing. Told everybody they were smart. And so again, that built the system, and then the system is that system, and um, it really is kind of an encyclopedic approach. And our brains don't grow that way. Our brains aren't like F is for frogs and flags and fish and factoring and, and let's, Frank and Frank and let's go take care of all of that. Uh, like let's do everything algebra and once you've done everything algebra you'll be perfect and then we, you can go now on we to graduate the next too yeah um, we know better but you know what uh, it's how we still do it it's how we still do it because it's how we've done it so and, how does everybody else do it uh, they they take an approach which is what we do in kindergarten through eighth grade in the states uh, where you're looking at mathematics and you're thinking about the mathematics that you're growing through you have some main areas of thought that you would be going through so like um, uh, not to geek out on some of it, but like in seventh grade, uh, you'd be doing ratios and proportionality. And, but ratios and proportionality, you're thinking about proportional relationships. I mentioned earlier, like scaling up a, a recipe, for example, or mixing paint, but you're going to do a bigger batch of paint. 
at that time you're doing batches of paint and you probably should know about the geometry about the volume of paint because that's mm. like the right time to do it and then you can start talking about statistics and and all sorts of other things it's built around a, a, a problem yeah, you're building it around a problem or building around a, a situation. Rather and than look, just do this rote thing. Yeah, and what's grade level appropriate to engage with it and then continue your thinking. That is really taking things from the world, understanding them with mathematics, making sense of it, playing with some of the mathematics and seeing the abstractions and the coolness of mathematics behind it, and then going on and solving more problems and more problems and growing in your mathematical thinking. Well, when we do things like Algebra 1, Geometry, and Algebra 2, and we really segregate the content, we've said this is only Algebra 1 time. That's, we're trying to grow only one way of thinking, a one part of thinking, and I say encyclopedic, just like it fits in the A book, because it's algebra. It makes us feel like we check, can check it off. And when you look at most algebra <clears throat> books, um, other weird things you can ask me about books and evaluations and stuff that's a whole nother story but um when you look at books and i've looked at a lot of curriculum uh, there most algebra one books are usually the classic ones are over a thousand pages or near a thousand pages and you're like you only have 180 days in the school year and how are you going to get through that much material and you never get through that much material it's an encyclopedia it's the dictionary um, and similarly, if you said, it would be really good if we taught kids how to read and write. Like first, what we're going to do, we're going to get the encyclopedia out and we're going to memorize how to spell all of the A words. That's going to be this first year. And then next year, we'll go to B's. <laughs> and in much excitement. Boy, they got a lot to look so forward to. So much excitement. I, mean, yeah. I can't wait till tomorrow. I can't wait. And then when you're all done, <laughs> Frank, if you know them all and how to spell them all, then we'll learn to write. That's in your graduate level course. That's kind of how it's built right now. That's what mathematics in high no school wonder. has been for structure. And no wonder why kids don't, we, uh, we don't, don't love care. it and are, don't care and aren't successful. I, I remember saying the words, uh, you probably never said these, but I, I remember saying the words, I'll never have to take math again. <laughs> and you were <laughs> happy were for that. Those were probably some of the happiest yeah. words yeah. I ever said in my life. Yeah. And, and yet I use it all the time. In fact, we were here, you came, you popped in the other day to look at, you know, crashed a, a meeting that Kelly and I were having and we were doing two things and, and on our whiteboard in our conference room was circle plus minus this thing that I, I I do with clients and with with friends about how to create your great life and and sort of focusing on the things that you love to do and getting rid of the things you don't and and so you get to live a great life right and and you saw that laid out and then on the other whiteboard was all these sort of arithmetic as you would call it you know numbers that we were putting a budget together for, and you were for so a happy you're so I'm like, happy oh good jeff's here you can see us doing math and we're doing math and jeff we're doing, we're doing math. math and we were looking i was looking at the numbers board all the arithmetic and you went yeah you know that one on the left which was you know a list of all the things that kelly wanted to do in her life and 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 her cosmic order of the things that she wanted you went immediately to that's math this is arithmetic and arithmetic is part of math, and arithmetic has its meaning and its value. But you didn't in its see place. math. But that's not mathematics. And did you know mathematics right. is plural? And in the States, we call it math singular, which is kind of a whole weird psychological thing you, if you I've think about I've heard you often that. say, oh, I teach mathematics. Plural. Yeah, why? Why? Because mathematics is a plurality. Mathematics isn't just one thing. Mathematics is not just a, res, uh, a recitation of facts. It's not just arithmetic. It's not just an algorithm. Solving a number problem. Yeah. So, for example, if you're going to think about like this recipe idea we mentioned earlier, how do you know if your recipe, when you doubled or tripled it, is right? It tastes the same. How do you know your paint recipe mm. is right when you double or triple it or you scale it up? It, the colors the it, same. It colors the same. Now, that makes sense in real life. And when you represent that in mathematics, you would see that in a numbers like equivalent ratios. Two is to three as 20 is to 30 or 10 is to 15 or all sorts of other ratios. Or you could draw a table and see equivalent ratios. You could also write it in as an equation that, that the, the number two, you can multiply it always by one and a half to get the, the three. So any number that you've got, you can multiply by one and a half to get three. You could also see that as a graph. It happens to be a set of points that goes in a straight line that goes through the point zero, zero. Like, you know, if you have zero chocolate chips, you're going to make zero cookies because <laughs> you don't have enough chocolate chips. It's like You can see it in so many different ways. And it's not just even that about proportional thinking. Mathematics, like you said on your board, is about networks and about order and about how things are nested and 
properties of things in one set inherit all the properties of the bigger set? And how do all of this stuff work and relate and all of the things? And how do you step back enough sometimes and abstract it to go, oh, and solve it at an abstract level and know that it's going to apply to all of the things in the nest or the stuff below it? And you're like, your brain just goes, because it's, it's a plurality. Mathematics is not only You get arithmetic. so happy when you talk like that. Oh, yeah. No, I, you really do. I, and I love like, it. You can see it light up. That that's what it is, isn't yeah. it? That's I, why you I guess, do it. I guess um, you ask what my passion's really about. My passion's really about this when I think about it and you say that. I love mathematics. Uh, I really do. And I have two degrees in it and I like it. But what I don't like about mathematics is the way that I got to learn mathematics and grow up in mathematics. I wasn't, I wasn't really cultivated and nourished in the way that f- felt good for me as a, as a human being and as a mathematician. I never felt like I was getting prepared to go to mathematics. I was always scared of the next math class. <laughs> like, okay, can I do this or can't I do it? Am I gonna fall or not fall? Am Ugh. I gonna fail? What's gonna happen? Am I gonna run out of my mathiness? I was never told and encouraged that this is awesome. Just it's an do anxious the math. way to be. An anxious way to be, yes, because <clears throat> if I'm not thinking like you as my instructor or my teacher or professor, then I'm gonna get an F, of course. If I can't replicate your thinking, if I could have, and this is where my passion is because we realize it works now, because it's who we are as human beings, that the way that I see mathematics and the way that you see mathematics is different. And that we need each other to help each other to grow better. And both of our ways of seeing it are both valid. Obviously, if you're talking about things like two plus two isn't four, then you better be in another number system, uh, which by the way, there's other number systems which two plus two isn't four. Whoa, that's another podcast. Well, here's to an easy one. What's what's, um, 11 plus two? 13 it's one <laughs> i'm thinking of the time frank well we do oh, that to kids all the time 11, 11 plus, plus two, two in two more one. hours it's one that's true so it depends what number system wow. you're in but if we're like my brain is so it's not the whiskey either wow <laughs> there there are ways like we can argue about that but it's the perspective like how you see the things coming together sure, yeah and um for me my passion is to really hope um change and give kids who are growing up today a better uh, approach approach to mathematics and learning so that whoever they are they might be able to grow up and and use mathematics if they want to go into mathematics itself and be like geek out in mathematics and just go full on math and um, go for it if you want to be a mathematician who is using all the tools that we have today to use mathematics to understand data and work for the Seattle Seahawks to determine fourth and one what should you do <laughs> go for it but know mathematics and have confidence in that you're a mathematician that way if you're a mathematician who's trying to do corner booth media stuff and put together people's stories and make it all work together or you're doing the audio stuff if that's your expression of mathematics just have some confidence to know that you can still solve problems you can make sense of things you can reason abstractly and quantitatively you can look for and make use of repeated reasoning yeah because those things are i mean i do math all the time and a lot of it comes down to budgets it's real people's dollars that are that are tr- trusting us with them mm-hmm. and and i got to make sure that we're valuing at that at the right amount mm-hmm. that we're doing this in the timely fashion that was so that they they want to do that again and it was there was value there and it was worth it and i and i'm making enough as a company that everybody gets paid and we do well and we can continue to do this there's a i mean that's a that's a constant math e world that i didn't expect you know that you wouldn't think of in this world and for a long time i had i made up a story that i wasn't a very good business guy Uh, and and now now i'm like yeah i am like wait a minute i because i didn't think that there was a certain way to do it i sort of did it the way i could figure it out and after a while i'm like no i mean i know how to do this there's there's my you know there's like you know i always say there's only one way there's no one way to make a movie there's your way to make a movie that that's it and i think it's the same like you know, I, I I know there's only one way for me to make a movie, and I and I trust that if I like it, there'll be enough people out there who like it too. Yeah. Um. And I think you're you're thinking of it in a similar way, right? Very similar way. And I'm hearing all these other mathy things like you use tools strategically. You shouldn't be frank in your job calculating by hand all of the numbers for budgets. Matter of fact, you should be using tools and programs. And, and we apps. we don't. I mean, and, and, and no, but sometimes you do it by hand and it's faster and easier. But you even know like. 
when to, and this is the beauty of our world today, crowdsource something or get something from a tool. Oh, for sure. Like, or, yeah, like, right, or we have a freelance team that'll come yeah, in and do you stuff or outsource that. that if I need to. Or whatever. And that's part about being like a mathematician is you know that you're trying to make budget or you're trying to get something done in that realm. And you know that you don't have to go from, from the beginning of it by hand, do it Correct. all. Like use the tools. Oh yeah, no, I mean I, I can do I, I can do it. You know, and you talked about like like there's you know one of the when Kelly and I were with you, you did the dot game, yeah. right? We were like here's ten, here's here's four dots and three dots. How many are there? Seven. You know, then you put like six or seven down all together, and I'm like I don't know how many are there. Like I can you know I think I do. I quickly can do a budget on what it's going to take for us to produce a project. In minutes, yeah, because I know roughly how much it costs for us, you know, uh, on a day rate to film, on a day rate to edit. I basically know how long it'll take something to edit. I can tell you yeah, yeah. relatively closely. I want to run it by everybody, make sure it's all good, and everybody's happy with it, just so that they also agree. But you know, I've I've, I've built enough of a system in my mind now and a way of doing it that where I've made it simple. And and I, I think it works and it works for our clients and they're happy to know that and 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 it, you know so I don't spend a ton of time on it and I don't have to go through tons of spreadsheets. The other thing that I remember hearing from a guy that was a great consultant of ours on, on the business side that helped me a lot in terms of how to grow my business, <clears throat> he said, you know, you're not a commodity. And there's a lot of I- industries and a lot of businesses where the ratios are so small. You know, it's like you can go to this mechanic and he'll charge you X and you can go to that mechanic and he'll charge you X and I'm going to go because that one's cheaper. Well, it doesn't mean it's better and it doesn't mean it's worth it. And and I learned a long time ago, really, the secret to our business taking off was I am not I am not here to nickel and dime, you know, how much this costs for us to produce something. You are not buying my day rate on my rate on how it is. You're buying the value of of what it is that we bring to the table of how good the concept is, how good the end product is, and is that worth the dollars that mm. you're spending? The, one of the best um, lines I've ever heard is the story about Picasso, where he he was you know in the streets of Paris and he was uh, uh, sketching this this lady asked him to sketch her, um, and he and he you know sketched her and made this painting of her and he handed it to her and he did it in ten minutes, and he's like you know that'll be you know. 5,000, you know, yeah. whatever, French, you know, 5,000, what is it? What is Franks? It? Franks. How would I not know that? 5,000 5, francs, you know, a, a huge amount of money at the time. And she says, 5,000 francs, that only took you 10 minutes to make. And he, and, she, and he said, no, madam, that took me a lifetime. And, and that's absolutely true. When somebody hires me to do something, yeah. I'm bringing with it 35 years of all kinds of stuff that I've made. And and experience with that and I know inherently and other ways that, that I'm making something great that is a worth that is worth a value that is worth it because it's not just even if I can do it fast and deliver it it's still worth mm-hmm. the value mm-hmm. that is more mm-hmm. than that and I think that's that's a really great lesson because there's so many people I think that value themselves really as a commodity as you know mm-hmm. I'm five cents less that's not at least in the business I'm in that's not what what you're hiring me for. And if you are, there's somebody else who can do that cheaper. Are they going to make it better? No, probably not. Is it worth it? Probably not. So, I mean, that's how I've approached math. I think that's mathematics. Matter of fact, <laughs> when you, you, you asked earlier about the magic wand and I said, like, take three months off. One of the things also that magic wand I would like to do is be able to go to as many, especially in the Pacific Northwest where we live, um, go to as many successful businesses and people and videotape with them what is their story, what is their expertise, how are they being awesome and who they are, and then letting them know and showcasing the mathematics that they use. That they don't even know they're doing. That they don't even know that they're doing. Yeah. And, and to There's that, a crap load in this building every yeah. day of it that yeah. goes on that we're not even aware that we're doing. Probably. For sure. And then to bring that back and to highlight it, well, also for you as, a, as a, a worker or professional in the industry, that whatever industry people are in, but go to them and ask them what's going on and then to bring that back to the classroom for, <laughs> for samples of evidence for what it looks like. And then in particular to help align that, like I can see like really crowdsourcing it out and even starting into like 
getting kids the videotape privileges to go ahead and do a videotape and start doing that and bringing it back to the classroom, even what you're doing, so that when we want to talk, since we've been talking about proportionality today, like what's going on in your world and how do you think proportionately? And I could be the math person who helps tease that out in an interview type of thing, but I shouldn't be the only one doing that. But we as a team of some math educators could go out and listen to the world and how people are using mathematics and also listen to what their experience was with mathematics. Well, to I mean, that's them for such that. a cool idea because it's a win for the company. Like you would, if that happened to here, which yeah. do it, let's go. Um, I would think completely differently probably. I would get feedback from you and, and honestly your students who would go, why are you doing it that way? I don't know. We've never really thought of another how, way to do it, right? could be a huge benefit to us. But how cool is it to bring that to a real-life situation? This is a real company doing real things that are, that are you know really getting made, that are affecting the real world. Yep. And, and you kids need to know that math is being used there. And I wouldn't think that somebody in the marketing, advertising, video world would would be doing math they are all the time here's proof is that what you're think, saying basically that, yeah no, that would just, be so cool and also I, mean, I, I think i think so too um for the kids it's an incredible because incredible realization that uh, what i'm doing now in mathematics in this class actually does matter in the real yeah, world and they can see where it is and it would be a benefit to the business because you're going to find stuff i'm sure here you would find many things that we're doing wrong nah, or, it's or, not or, or doing, that. that we could be doing smarter i think it's about just being <laughs> honest with each other that we use mathematics in our everyday life and that the mathematics that you do in your classroom should be valuable to you and you should bring your world in if you're building a skate ramp if you're mixing music if you're playing video games and you're grinding on that and you want to get better at it let's help you get better at it and let's help you be empowered with mathematics because mathematics if you didn't know it is why all of the technology works today yeah well and i think that's cool because your son nathan and my stepson keenan are like best friends right and i think it's you have talked about one of the best ways that you have talked about math in certain ways, they're both into skating, right? Yeah. And they built a skate ramp that we yeah. had to help them move that one time and yeah. it was stuck behind it. I'm like, oh my God, this is heavier than hell. What are we doing? <laughs> Why am I out here moving this stupid thing, a block, a whatever? But but you looked at it like, no, this is really cool because it's built a certain way and they're not gonna get the kind of experience as a skater unless they use their mathematic brain yeah. to figure out the right way to build that thing, right? Yeah. I think that was so cool. That you, you looked at it that way it, when I was just like, this thing's heavy. And you looked at it like, no, this is really cool. So here's here's um, <laughs> here's a, why it works. Um, Janet Frost down at, uh, she uh, was at WSU. She called it the Velcro. Washington State University, for uh, yeah. those who don't know and are viewing this <laughs> across the globe. Um, she says it's like the Velcro in your brain. If you have an experience like making a skateboard ramp and you're thinking about things, that's your experience in your neural network. And then we can talk about certain things. And for example, on a skateboard ramp, you can talk about the slope or the steepness and the curvature and tangent lines and all sorts of things, surface areas, all, all sorts of things you can talk about there. But if you have an experience in your brain, your brain has, like Janet would say, is Velcro. It has a place for it to stick. <laughs> if, if I'm talking about- Because I care about skating. Because you care about skating. And that's Got my it. point. If it's not centered around you and your world and you don't bring your world to bear on it's it- It's just numbers that blur. It's just an abstraction. It doesn't have anywhere to stick in your brain. And it's going to just be like it was for most of us in mathematics, something to memorize, try to regurgitate, and hope that you can use it when you need to, but you really don't think you'll be able to and you probably won't. And the data shows we haven't been able to. It's not sticky. It's not sticking in your brain. So you need, your brain needs that experience, even from little, little kids of feeling things to be able to sort and count. We need it through the data systems that our, our brains get through our senses. That's the first thing. And then we go to levels of abstraction moving up. But if it's not centered around our own experiences, it doesn't stick. Mm -hmm. So if we're gonna go anything abstraction, it doesn't matter if it's mathematics or any other content area. If it doesn't relate to our own experiences and our brain doesn't have something for it to stick to, it just fades away. And so uh, magic wand time, uh, I would love for our mathematics to be able to do like, let's get some videotapes of people who are out there in the world doing mathematics so they can share how it's making sense in their world of mathematics. And even the mathematicians who geek out in the abstractions and how fun that might be. And some kids go, I don't like that or I do like that. And they could see so many professions where it's used and they get the opportunity also to bring their world to the mathematics table. And we empower them to use mathematics in their world to make their world what they want it to be. I may know a video company that could help you with okay, that. Okay, well, we'll talk later. Jeff, thanks, man. You're welcome. This has been phenomenal. Anything else I didn't ask? This is the question I always, when I interview people, <clears throat> I always ask them, well, I guess I, I did have one other question. What do you love the most? 
I love loving people. Um, it's like the biggest joy for me. And uh, started as a kid, and I didn't realize that. I mean, part of it was with my upbringing, and like you should really love people. But I get the biggest sense of satisfaction when I know what I've done has really supported them genuinely without cost for myself. I don't concern the cost for myself, but um, without regard for the cost to myself, I can do something. And like if that's helping you think better and watching you grow, that to me is love. That it's about you and it's about your benefit and about who you are. And uh, for me, that's my passion. And that's what really brings me joy and delight. The other question I always ask people is, is there anything I didn't ask you that I, that you wish I would have? And usually this is about me, but uh, and what you think of me. You know. Oh, I think... Um, <laughs> Not really. Like you, you mentioned earlier, like why did you become an educator and kind of that story. And it's a fun storyline. And uh, I think the... When's the first time you taught? Like right out of school and what grade? I was fifth grader teaching other kids in class because I was told I couldn't do the next assignment until I helped some other students. So the first time you taught was in fifth grade? That I remember. Um, I was uh, assigned by Mr. Johnson to help students in the classroom because I was racing through the book. You were the, you were the math nerd. Well, I was geeking out on it, and that's how I had been learning mathematics a lot on my huh. own anyways, and we had done it at home, and I was bored in class because we had been doing the multiplication tables when we're rolling dice and doing all of the stats You're going at home. You are counting cards with your dad taking and Yeah, my casino. dad took me to the casino and had me count cards for him. He said, just shush, Jeff. Let's <laughs> pretend that you're not here. No, we didn't do that. But, um, yeah, no, I started really, really young, and then even in, in baseball, um, you're helping coach and you're helping to do things uh, to do it. And so training and teaching other people um, didn't really become what I would consider teaching today as in facilitating learning. I like the word facilitate rather than teach because teach is kind of like we've made it as training, like you would train a dog. I'm telling you what to do. Telling you what to do and do it like yeah, me. That's true. Um, I'd rather I'd like to grow people. So the first time you got paid to be a facilitator, was it right out of college and what grade? Um, no, I was in uh, high school and then college. I did a lot of tutoring. I found it was quite lucrative to tutor through college because families that had money wanted their kids to pass and they wanted to hire a tutor who knew math. And Cha-ching, and then you take all the money and go to the casino, count cards. No, I, I didn't it. do it that way. But yeah, I get your idea. Um, <laughs> but then I was... Uh, uh, 21 when I got my teaching certificate and uh, started teaching and got my job. And uh, what did you teach? Uh, I taught, well, I did a, a, a master's degree at Eastern and I was teaching out there, but then Eastern I, Washington University for those yeah. who don't know, <laughs> Washington. Uh, and then the first real gig I did subbing in District 81, Spokane Public Schools and Shadow Park High School is a lot. And then I got my first contract, full time wow. contract at Ferris High School. Wow. She's out of Shadle. I grew up right near Shadle. Right there, yeah. Wow, full yeah. circle, this whole full circle. strange little worlds that we run into. Huh, yeah. that's super cool. But it was, it was also interesting that there was a lot of time along the way that I was always in these um, positions because as a young kid, I was put into the, okay, help do coaching, help do lineups, call people up. It was just the expectation. Keep score. Keep Baseball score. Baseball keeping scores. Or help out with the, the, the Sunday school class or help out with the youth group class or be a counselor at summer camp or do different things like that or help lead this or lead that. And uh, my favorite memories that I look back on now of helped really shape me as an educator were doing adventure programming like rock climbing or whitewater rafting or horse packing or ropes course or challenge course things. Spent a lot of time on the uh, high ropes course, bringing people up to the zip line or encouraging them or talking through things with them. Staying calm. Staying calm. Uh, <sighs> like they come up, they're crawling up this this uh, staples in the pine tree and they're coming up onto this platform that I get to help build, which is all geeky fun and mathy. And uh, so then like they would come up and it's really small and I'd be harnessed and I'd lean off to the side and they're like, go ahead, you can sit here. <sighs> I don't know if I can do that. I want to go down. Oh, you can go back down. And how do you, how do you really meet somebody for where they are in the middle of their fears? They're out of their comfort zone. It's and, real. And it's real. And how do you help bring them back from the panic zone? Because the panic zone is never good for you, but how do you bring them back in there? And for me, that was really uh, formidable for my understanding about how to relate to people and how to sometimes push them and put those challenging tasks in. Because again, homeostasis, if you're comfortable, you're not going to grow. But how do you keep it within the realm of not break yourself mentally or physically so that you're pushing just enough? And a lot of fun experiences with that, which is like, I got paid a bunch and you're teaching, but that was more facilitating. And we even called it facilitating at the time. And, and for that, I'm really grateful for those experiences. Well, that's super cool. Thanks for your 
time to come down here and try this as the first podcast that we're going to do and um, <clears throat> kicking my ass in nine ball. I mean, you were pretty good out there. <laughs> no worries. And I hope you enjoy your kitten tea party. Uh, Thank you so much yeah. for this. I, I, I know what I'm going to do now for the rest of the night. Wonderful. Take, you know, take this uh, to heart. Um, I think it would be cool also if you could just introduce for this. I think it would help if you could just say, I'm Jeff Crawford and I do this. Yeah. You know, what you do, who you are, where you live, those yeah, things I'm, for, the, for the, our, our listeners in China. Yeah, I'm Jeff Crawford. Uh, I live in Spokane, Washington. Uh, my full-time gig is to support uh, educators. Uh, I work at the Educational Service District based out of Spokane. There are nine of our districts to support teachers in schools and districts across the state of Washington. And my job is to help facilitate learning for everyone, um, in particular mathematics. There you go. Awesome. You are the most interesting guest I've ever had, <laughs> by the way. My dad would also say that I'm his favorite son or the most beautiful son that he's ever had. <laughs> ah, Nick's my and, favorite son. And I have only one father, and yeah. he has only one son. <laughs> Thanks again to Jeff Crawford, my next door neighbor, and the most interesting person you've never heard of. Thanks also to my crack producer, Zach, from Easy Productions, boy genius producer, sound engineer, and composer of our epic theme music, Nick Swoboda. MIP Podcast was filmed at the studio of Corner Booth Media. Please sure to like, subscribe, and follow us on social media. You can also listen to us on Spotify, Apple Music, and anywhere podcasts can be found.